welcome to Craft, Design, Edit, Sleep, Repeat with hosts Lisa Conway and Nikki Jensen. Listen as we take a deep dive into the business of fiber craft design. All right, welcome everybody back to Craft Design Edit Sleep Repeat. Today I have a very special guest. I am talking with Helene Diemer of Happy Go Nitty. She's an indie dyer in New Zealand, and I am thrilled to have her with us today to talk about dyeing and collaborations with designers. Welcome, Helene. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. I'm so thrilled. I really am because this is this is something that's been on my list for a while now, talking to someone who does the dyeing or works with the yarn manufacturing part of it and and then works with designers as well. So that I think it's really valuable for our designers to learn how that process works. So first question, when did you start dyeing? I started dying in, um, I was about 20 years ago when I actually still lived from in Sweden because I'm from Sweden. Uh, and I used to dye yarn for, me and my sister, we dyed yarn for knitting cotton clothes for our kids. So I dyed cotton yarn. Uh, and my son was a toddler and um, yeah, we dyed some cotton. And then in 2004, I moved to New Zealand and I brought some of the cotton yarn with me. And I uh, actually didn't knit for quite a while. And then I picked up the knitting again. And then I thought, oh, dyeing yarn is fun. And knitting and hand-dyed yarn is fun. So I continued dyeing cotton, which is a totally different process from dyeing wool. It's different dyes, different process. Everything is very different. And also, you cannot buy cotton here in New Zealand. So I forced my sister to bring cotton yarn with her when she came to visit. <laughs> so she would have she would have half a suitcase full of yarn, and then uh, a few clothing items for herself to wear while she was here. Uh, but then after a little while, she said to me that Helene, come on, you live in a country full of sheep. Why don't you dye wool instead? So I gave it a go and. Um, yeah, like I said, it's a very different process. And also, I had a full-time job by then, so it was very, very, very small scale. Uh, but I've always been a, a maker. So I used to do craft markets, but back in the day, I made jewelry. So I started selling. Um, sorry, I'm going back a little step here now. Uh, I started selling jewelry and cotton yarn at the same time and at craft markets. And that doesn't work. Because people get really confused. Am I selling jewelry or am I selling yarn? You know, so I gave up the the jewelry. I stopped making jewelry, and I focused on the yarn. But then, like I said, I I started dabbling with with wool instead. And um, like I said, it's a very different process, and it was very very small scale. And I went to lots of craft markets and hardly sold anything. But then eventually it started growing. and But I gave up the cotton because, one, it's I couldn't get my sister to bring me the cotton all the time. And even though she's been here visiting a lot many, many times. But um, 
if it's people here in New Zealand, they don't really understand cotton. It's not very common. And okay, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's so different to wool. It's so, so different. The, the, how you wear it and how you knit it. And yeah. Yeah. I I just ventured into wool instead. The, the entire working with cotton, right from the dyeing Mm. process all the way through to Mm. the finished product is very different in how you manage Mm everything so yeah yeah. and I know that a lot of people here say that they they find cotton very hard on their hands and I guess I was so used to it so I didn't really mind but it is it's yeah it doesn't have the same kind of stretch no not at all it's very rigid it doesn't give at all when you knit it so it is harder on your hands yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so that's when I started dying bold, and and then eventually I kind of created a little business name for myself. So that's how Happy Gunnetti started, which is I've, I've actually forgotten. I think it's Happy Gunnetti started about twelve years ago. I think. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. at what point, since you started as a, a with a full time job, at what point did you move over to full time dying? Well, um, I used to be a book designer, so I designed coffee table books. So I was literally juggling this at night and in the weekends and having two kids as well. So I worked a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but then I was made redundant, and that's when I started focusing on on the yarn, and I I just decided I'm going to make this fly. But I also I I couldn't. It didn't bring in enough money back then, so I continued designing books on contract. So for a long time, I was still juggling both. And now I've been dyeing yarn full-time, I think it's about five years. Okay. I think, yeah. Yeah. You've got to really get to a point because it's it's one of those professions that you've got to really know how to find your market how to work with that market you've got to really focus to get Mm. to a full-time position Mm. oh absolutely and I guess the thing is that I back then I didn't think it would be even possible to make a full-time income from dying young I didn't think that would be possible at all. And at the same time, I really badly wanted to do it. But I had a really good job as a book designer. I really enjoyed that job, but I was drawn to doing both. And you can't do both. And But I I, I guess it was the, I couldn't, you can't really resign from a good job to make a hobby a job. You know, that's pretty risky. <laughs> So it, I guess it was really kind of risky. a blessing. <laughs> it was kind of a blessing in disguise that I was made redundant. It was in a period of books turned very digital, and yeah, the the that company they were struggling a bit. So unfortunately, I was made redundant, and but I, that was really, you know, the point where I thought, no, I'm gonna make this fly. I'm just gonna do it, and then uh, quite frankly, I actually. I, I, I'm not going to deny that I was supported. I was married to a man who had a really good income. So that was kind of a support in the beginning, absolutely. 
and then but we actually divorced three and a half years ago so back three and a half years ago I was standing on my own feet and I was like oh my god can I actually survive doing this and it turned out I could so that was really exciting (laughs) well I I kind of touched on it um how do you describe your market how do you who do you die for specifically? Just knitters, knitters and crocheters? Do you have a, a vision of who that person is? Who who do you, who is your market? Um, well, I guess I know who my market is. There is there is a very um, big group of what we call Yanis here in New Zealand, who mm-hmm. are the people who really, really love knitting with hand-dyed yarn. And we are lucky to have, um, yeah, there's, there are a lot of people here in New Zealand who really enjoy knitting with hand-dyed yarn and seem to have the income to be able to do it because I'm not going to deny what I do is luxury. It's definitely luxury. Right. It's not cheap. It's not cheap at all. But to be able to make it a sustainable income and make it run it as a business, you actually cannot sell the yarn very cheap. There are some right. people who do, and I don't understand how they make an, a living from it. But for me, it's a business, and that's what I do to make a living, mm-hmm. to pay my bills. Mm-hmm. But right. anyway, my, my market, there is a I, – I, I, oh, so I'm trying to get my head around this. <laughs> it's I, a I tough question for all of us. Yeah, it is. It, I did, but it, it is. And and the thing is, I, I don't think I think about at all whether the yarn's going to be knitted or crocheted. I think most of my customers are knitters. I know there are crochets as well. But I don't design a, a or I don't dye a yarn for being knitted or for being crocheted. The right. only thing I would say about that is on the rare occasions when I do self-striping sock yarn, because I do make that, and that is um, that's kind of intended to be knitted into socks because that's how you calculate right. the yarn to get it into stripes. So if someone decides to make something else of it, it's not going to have the look that the yarn was dyed for. And, of course, if you use it for crochet, it's going to look very different. But I have heard you get you and Julie in particular talk about the process it takes to create self-striping yarns. Describe that for our people, our listeners. What do you have to do <laughs> to create a self-striping yarn for socks? Well, the way I do it is that for me, a uh, stripe is sock. The way I make them, the, the stripes are about one centimeter. They are about four rows. And to get to that point, you need three meters of yarn. So what you have to do is you have to decide how many colors you want. So if you do a four-color yarn, the hank needs to be 16 meters in circumference. No, sorry, 12 meters. Three three times four. So 12 meters. So then, of course, what you need to do with your hank of yarn before you can dye it, you literally need to re-skein it into six-meter-long skeins, right? Because you need to buy okay. three of each color. 
So yes, and I don't have any, I, I make them very rarely because they're so time consuming. So I let, I don't have a setup for doing this properly. I do it the very, you know, low key way that I'll put up two chairs with weights on them. And then I, I pop in my AirPods and put on a good podcast or something. <clears throat> and I walk the yarn. So I wow. first I wind it into, into cakes so I can easily pull them. You can't, it's mm-hmm. very difficult to pull the yarn from a, um, a swift because right. if you stop, the swift starts spinning and it all gets, turns into a mess. So first I need to ball up the yarn into cakes and then I walk them between the chairs and just wind the yarn around the chairs. And then I tie it and I tie, so I tie marks at three meters distance but then you need to put ties in between those as well because otherwise the yarn tangles up. And then you dye it. You dye one color at a time in that three-meter section. And then you take it out. You wrap it up in glad wrap. And then you dye the next section. And you make sure that they meet. They overlap ever so slightly, but you don't want them to overlap too much because that's when the right. blend color blends, but you don't want a white spot there either. So you dye the next section, you wrap that, and you wrap the meeting point separate. And the whole time you need to be so careful so nothing drips on other parts of the yarn. It's, it's wow. a mission. It's oh, a mission. yes. Let's I've heard way, you guys talk way. about it, but that's the, that's the most detailed oh, description I've ever heard, oh, and it's, it's a super, lot. It's super. It's a lot of work. So you can imagine when my friend Julie from Honey Hoolies Design, who I know you have interviewed as well, she's a very close friend of mine. She challenged yes. me because I had this vision about making a 14-color self-striping yarn. And I know that there are dyers who do this regularly, and I don't understand how they do it because she challenged me, and I thought, oh, bugger, yeah, I need to do it. I have to get it out of my system. I need to do it. So I can tell you that a 14-color self-striping yarn, that means skeins that are, so 14 divided by 2 is 7, right? Mm-hmm. Three meters of each color. So that's a 21-meter long skein, 42 yep. meters in circumference. Yep. It was a mission. I yeah. don't understand. People, people who make self-stopping yarn on a regular basis, they have a totally different setup than I do. <laughs> yeah, I, I would think that they've got, I'm trying to think how you would even automate that. That's just amazing. I mean, in a manufacturing, in a factory, I can see where the machinery could be set up. Yeah. But how would a hand dyer even come close to that kind of a automated yeah, I, I actually don't that's know. That's kind of mind-boggling. Then... <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. It's a lot of work. I usually end up, and I was going to say that I usually do them once a year, but that's actually not true because I haven't done, um, there. I cannot fit it in this year. It's not going to happen. Probably. I've, I know I've said online that, yes, people are going to make the rainbow yarn because I do, I do a six-color rainbow yarn, and they are actually gorgeous, and they fly out the door. But 
even that is quite a lot of work to do. And I know that I've said to my customers, yes, it's coming, it's coming, but I'm not sure that I'm going to get to it because our event season starts in a month's time. And right. I have a lot in my pipeline. So I yeah, don't speaking know if I get of there. which, speaking of the event season, um, if you look at the show notes for the episode with Julie and Paul that is getting ready to come out here shortly, because um, we are in the past, folks, uh, you will see probably Helene's market list as well. <laughs> That's the same. <laughs> I will get you to. Together. I will get you to send me the list of of markets yeah. you're going to be at, though, so that I can include it in your show notes as well. Um, so you, you talked about when you came up with your name. How did you come up with Happy Go Nitty? How what led you to that name choice? Um, I actually don't quite remember. Ex- exactly how we got to it but it was uh, my ex-husband who is a lover of the English language and we just had a we just kind of had a play with words and okay. because back in the day when I started Happy Gunity the the yarn was very colorful it's still colorful but I have now introduced a lot of muted colors but it used to be very you know bright and cheerful and very playful and and somehow we just happy gunity it just happened happy go lucky turned into happy gunity and happy gunity it just stuck okay. it just stuck and it was All interesting right. because uh to almost 2 years ago i i moved into a commercial lease um, place where I do my dyeing and when I did that I was at a point when I thought oh maybe I should actually take this opportunity because I had uh, proper signs made for the shop and, and everything like that so I thought okay this is the time where I have the opportunity to change my logo and things if I want to and I um, I was tempted to do it because it is a very uh, whimsical logo and very colorful uh, but I decided to the name Happy Gunity actually doesn't really match with a sleek font design so right. I decided to stay with my logo but I knocked back the colors a little bit so the colors gotcha. are a little bit more muted in my in my logo now but I stayed with my very whimsical logo because I'm still quite a sort of a happy, I'm a very happy go nitty person. Happy go lucky, happy go nitty. Well, that's just yeah, me. it does suit you very much so. Um, <laughs> but it is kind of a we we love hearing how people come up with their yeah. their business names and their you know Instagram handles and those kinds of things. Mm. Mm. So let's get down to the meat of things and talk collaborations. You do. A number of collaborations every year. Who initiates those? Do you reach out to the designer, or does the designer reach out to you? I would say that most of my collaborations it's been me reaching out first, but then, in particular, in one instance, that all of a sudden a designer contacted me as well. So my my first collaboration with I have collaborated with New Zealand designers for 
quite a long time. But with my first international big designer was Thea Coleman. And it was literally, I had a yarn that I used to dye that unfortunately I can't buy anymore. But it was made uh, by um, Great Woolen Road. Uh, Great Woolen Road. Oh, Great Great Ocean Road Woolen Mill. That's what they call it in Australia. <laughs> and it was, um, it was a very interesting yarn because it was a Surrey Alpaca Polworth blend. And it was absolutely beautiful. And it was quite sort of unusual. And for some reason, I saw a pattern by Thea and I thought, oh, my God, she makes the most amazing cabled garments. She's so clever. And I literally just sent her a message on Instagram. I said, hey, this is me. I'm Helene. My name to die in New Zealand. I have this awesome yarn. Would you be keen to design in it? And she said, yeah, that sounds cool. So I sent her some yarn. And she came up with the beautiful cabled cardigan called Shandy. And um, so that was my the starting point with Thea Coleman. We, she has since then designed uh, Vesper with a twist in my Merino Alpaca blend, Merpaca. And she has got yarn at the moment, uh, a new yarn base that I have, which is called Lothbrock. And it's a BFL Gotland blend. So that's Ooh, that sounds interesting. It's an awesome yarn. Thea is very much um, she likes the the walls, the more proper. You know, she it can be even be she likes even quite rustic yarn, and and you know she's a woolly person. So she, right. I would never dream of sending her any of my silk bands because that's just not her thing. And then. Um, Quite a few years ago, I sent an email just for the fun of it to Isabel Kramer. She came back to me and she said, I'm really sorry. I've got too much on my plate. I cannot commit to anything now. But then when I got this Merpaka yarn that I mentioned, Marina Alpaca Blend, I gave it a go again and sent her a message and said, hey, what do you think? I've got this awesome New Zealand spun yarn. Would you be keen? And she said, yes. Go for it. So she designed a sweater, a yoke sweater that is called Kajo in the Marina Alpaca. And then when I later on got a new, very interesting yarn blend, New Zealand spun Merino Arapawa. So Arapawa is a breed of sheep that only live on some small islands in the Marlborough Sounds here in New Zealand. So it's a proper rare breed yarn. I asked Isabel again that hey I've got this yarn what do you think would you be keen and she said yes I would love that and um, uh, so I sent her some and she designed a sweater called Venia which is a plain sweater with a like a, a panel of really cool I don't know if it's lace or cables there's something in between I guess it's more lace than cables but it's not lacy it's, uh, it's just it's like a modern it's very modern looks very cool so and then I also contacted because I found happened to find Rachel from Unwind Knitwear I saw her design called Orbit on it just popped up in my Instagram feed and I thought oh my god that is so cool so she's really focused on very intricate color work and I sent her a message and said hey what do you think 
And she came back and said, oh, that Mardi yarn that you have, which is a yak silk blend. No, sorry, yak silk merino blend. That looks really interesting. So I sent her some of that. And she came up with a beautiful design called Aquilegia, which is a big, her yolks are really, oh, her color work is really, they're really cool because they're super deep yolks. They kind of go quite far down the sleeves as well. Mm-hmm. So she designed that. And then all of a sudden, one day I said, ping, in my web shop for sale. And that was her buying more of my yarn. Because quite frankly, I when I collaborate with designers, I that's yarn support. I give them yarn for free. I would never expect them right. to pay for it. But she actually went in and bought some more yarn in my shop. And I sent her a message and said, hey, wh- what's happening? And she said, oh, my God, I love the Mardi yarn so much. I need to do another sweater. So she was, <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. I was stoked. Uh, so she uh, designed a sweater that we released um December no January in January this year that was called lineal so that's also designed yep. so she has designed twice now in the Mardi yarn I think those are two of the ones that I've seen in process mm. I think I, the think. I when, when I collaborate with designers I always knit the pattern myself as well so I push it while I'm knitting it if I can sometimes the designs are more secret sometimes they are not secret so I always check very carefully with the designer how they want to run the the process because that's their choice of course um yes and then also that is what I've got in the pipeline happening now which is very exciting a few years ago I sent uh once again just sent a message on Instagram to Camilla Bard Danish designer um if you are familiar with her magnolia sweater, it really yes. took off a few years ago. So it's got a wide magnolia border down at the bottom. It's, once again, it's not cables, it's not, I guess it's lace, but it's not really what I call lace. But it's like an ornament pattern of magnolias down at the bottom of the sweater. And that really took off for her. So since, since then, she has made a whole collab, um, a whole range of magnolias. So there are cardigans, there are beanies, there are kids' versions, there are sweaters and cardigans with a magnolia pattern up in the yoke instead. So lots of variations of that. But I sent her a message a few years ago, and she back then she had her own yarn range. So she said that I'm really interested in what you're doing, but at the moment it doesn't work for me. So I was very surprised and super stoked when in January all of a sudden I had a message from Camilla in my Instagram and said, hey, I'm coming to New Zealand next week. I would love to come and see you. I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. (laughs) So, and I'd never met her, of course. And so she came around to my studio and um we had the most amazing time as you know she's danish i'm swedish so we were talking danish and swedish with some hilarious misunderstandings every once in a while <laughs> and, <laughs> and but we just had such a good time and we were talking you know yarns and colors and patterns and everything and then all of a sudden i looked at the clock and it was seven o'clock at night so we've been talking non-stop six hours you know oh, just wow. Yeah, it was it was amazing. We just totally clicked. And we decided to 
yep, come on, let's do some collaborations here. And I had a very cool yarn that I only had samples of. I actually didn't have the yarn in stock yet, but she saw it and she said, yep, that's the one. So this is a very specific New Zealand type of yarn. It's a merino possum blend. And if you're not familiar with possum, possum and opossum is not the same thing. Possum, they are called brush tail possums and they are a pest here in New Zealand. So they are making, doing a lot of damage to our environment. Um, they weren't but, indigenous yeah. to New Zealand, were they? They were brought yeah. in from Australia. Brought in from Australia. And the funny thing is that in, in Australia, they are protected. But here in New Zealand, they are they cause enormous damage to the, I mean, the whole flora, but also all our wingless birds. You know, we have a lot of wingless birds here. In, or sorry, wingless. Yeah, wingless, flightless. They don't fly. So they, you know, they hunt them, they kill them. And yeah, possums are, they cause a lot of problems here. But they have the most amazing fur and that is actually used in the yarn industry. So uh, it creates a yarn that is very light, very, very warm. And yes. it's got the most amazing halo. So it, cre it creates almost, it's almost like a little fur. It's when you yep. see the yarn, it might it might not look that different. It does look different, but it might not be that special. But when you knit it and then you block it, all the possum fur comes up to the surface and it's like a fur. It's amazing. It's so cool. I, I actually ran across this, was it one skein or two? It, they were just little if it, it was two, if it was just little tiny balls, but I think it was just one and it was a cotton possum blend, believe oh. it or not. It was very oh, unusual. It I found it in a thrift store. So yeah. no idea where it, you know, originated from, but um, it still had the ball band and knit up. It had the most unique, uh, combination of water wicking and warmth because of the possum yeah. and the halo on it was just really in um, mm. it was unlike anything I'd ever seen before mm. and I was familiar with possum yarn already but that when I found it it was just like what is this creation yeah, I wonder what <laughs> that was very unusual because and I don't know. I might still have the ball band, but I ended up because there was just this little tiny bit of it. I ended up making a pair of fingerless mitts with a lace pattern for my sister-in-law and nice. um, gave them to her. But yeah, it, it was a really unique yarn mm. because it had that lack of stretch you know we were talking about cotton it had that lack mm. of stretch from the cotton but it had the halo from the possum that was just unreal very interesting yeah. very different very different. Uh, I just love the possum yarn so uh, yeah I'm stoked that I've got it so I've ordered I've got a whole I've got lots of possum yarn now so um that's what my collaboration with Camilla Bart will be in she is blown away by this yarn. And um, so what we're doing, she has committed, she's going to do 
two designs in my possum yarn and also actually one design in the Lothbrok that I mentioned before, the BFL Gotland blend. She's got that as well. So we've got three designs in the pipeline to start with, but because design process takes a few months, we are actually starting up a cal, a knit along, in one or two weeks in one of her existing patterns already that is oh. very suitable for this possum yarn. So it's all down to me now. I just need to dye up yarn so that we have yarn available so I can post what color we have, colors, different colors I want to offer. And then there will be a knit along with me and Camilla for one of her existing patterns. I'm not going to reveal which one it is. So you have to follow me <laughs> to find out. <laughs> Go to Instagram and <laughs> Go to Instagram. Uh, following Happy Go Nitty. Hey, following Happy Go Nitty is, is worthwhile, even if you don't want to participate in the cow, because the beautiful things that this woman does are, she's, it's mind blowing. It really is. Thank you. Um, I have to mention though, that if the best way, if you want to keep up to date with all this stuff as well, please, please subscribe to my newsletter. You will find it on yes. my website to subscribe because sometimes I actually tell my followers there are things that are not revealed on social media as well. For example, Ooh, lovely. Uh, yeah. They're, yeah. That's, that's so good to know. Good that's really good to know. Good idea. Uh, I, I might just have to do that. <laughs> not that I can afford to ship yarn from New Zealand right now. Um, <laughs> So you've kind of talked about the steps. If if a designer were to reach out to you, what would be your requirements from the designer to move forward with a collaboration? What kinds of things would you put into place to, to make sure things ran smoothly for both of you? Well, um, the, first of all, I want to say, I usually give the designer very free hands they can design whatever they want to do the only thing I know I'm, I've told Thea Coleman hint hint um, that I would love if she could do a cardigan so what she's designing at the moment will be a cardigan because I feel like I have so many sweaters in my range uh, of coll collaborations that I would really like to have a cardigan so I've asked her for that uh, otherwise they usually have very free hands I they get the yarn and they can design whatever they like um and i mean quite frankly some of course my my hope for a collaboration is of course that i will sell kits when we launch them that's the whole idea so i right. will always have kits available in a few different colors when we launch the pattern and sometimes they do amazingly and sometimes they so a few but not that as many but I for me that's kind of that's the part of the game you know it's right. the same for a designer your side I'm of sure. it is making sure there's a variety of choices yeah yeah do you choose the colors I, for those do you choose the colors for the kits or do they sometimes suggest what, what, I've, what I've done recently is that um I the designer pick what color they want to use and then when we do the test cord, because all these patterns are, of course, test knitted, I 
have a few uh, friends here in New Zealand who are usually on board, especially one really good friend, Christina. She's usually on board when I do a collaboration. And the testers can here in New Zealand because I do there are sometimes there are testers who buy yarn from me even from the states usually from the states or Australia to do test nets mm-hmm. in these collaborations but the the ones who usually buy for testing are here in New Zealand and they pick whatever color they want to knit in and then when I make the kits I usually make them in the colors that we have used for the testing because I will have them photographed, right? Right. So that's my that's my asking for my test knitters is that they can take nice photographs and that I'm allowed to share them. So that and then I make the kits in those colors. Sometimes so they really you're really involved in a lot of the process beyond yes. just providing the yarn, which I oh, think yeah. is really uh, that's what makes them successful right is the fact that both the designer and you are are committed and collaborate really working together to come up with things even though you give them free reign on the design you're still a big part of the whole process when it comes right down to it yes because I always I always do the test knitting myself so I'm involved in that process. I, I have to admit, I, I can't always keep up to, to the deadline, but I usually do because, I mean, with the deadline, that's when we're going to launch the whole pattern, the kits, the, everything. And by, right. by then, my I, if, if it's not a secret design, which it seems to me like designers are more and more walking away from secret launches, or what they what we normally do is we we are allowed to post photos of details, not the full garment, right? But details, so it could be you know a part of the yoke, it could be the the sleeve motif if there is one, or things like that. But mm-hmm. of course, I mean the the more we show it on Instagram before the launch, we manage to get attraction, right? Before it even launches. So uh, yes, I, I am. I do the testing myself. So I have one. I have a sample to show my customers uh, when I go to events, but also, mm-hmm. of course, so that I can push it on Instagram during the process. Right, right. And, and I that try helps to. Both I you try and to, the designer. Exactly, and I try to to most of the time I pick a color myself that is quite different to what the designer have used, and for. And if it's a color work, I did them with Isabel Kramer. But when I when I worked with a New Zealand designer here, uh, Amiki Honitz, she designed a color work sweater in the natural yarn base with green motive. I made mine dark gray with a natural motive, so it was opposite. So you can see how the colors play with lights mm-hmm. and darks, and then like in reversed. And so I tried to make mine quite different to what the designer has done simply to show as much as possible thought about I hadn't thought about that part of the color process because Mm. that's where you're invested right is Mm. in choosing the colors that that work and and yeah that's a whole different mindset 
It's very interesting. And it's, I've, I find it quite interesting with how the markets work as well. Because, for example, when Isabel launched the cardoon sweater, which was a yoke sweater, one color in the contrast color in the yoke, um, the, all the because I actually did sell quite a lot of kits to America then, all the American <laughs> customers bought Isabel's colors, exactly the same as Isabel. While here in New Zealand, people went every combination possible because sometimes it depends on how much time I have, but quite often I offer that you can have other colors than the kits. I dye them to right. order, but there will be a, long, a longer wait time for that. Right. But So you can combine any color I have in that yarn range. So Isabel's sweater was a light gray natural light gray with a darker gray yoke but people here in New, Ze- New Zealand they they knitted blues and greens and rust and all sorts of colors so that, I just thought that was really interesting it's amazing to me the number of people that are they see a, a pattern and automatically just have to have not only the exact same yarn but the exact same colors mm. and I've never I've never knit that way. Mm. Never, never. It's, a, it's very I common. I think it can be, depending on what yarn is used, it can be a good idea to use the actual yarn used in the design. For example, now when we're going to design in the possum, of course you can get to that gauge with another yarn, but a, a possum yarn behaves quite differently to yes. other yarns because it blooms a lot. The possum fur kind of, fills in it, it bulks up it blooms a right. lot so you even though my possum yarn is a dk you couldn't just pick any dk to get to the same gauge because there's a big difference between a woolen spun possum yarn compared to for example a superwash merino it's oh definitely it's like, I, oh it's so different you cannot compare oh them. i get i i totally get that and and being I'm a I'm a spinner. I'm a weaver. I'm a knitter. I, I'm a knitter first because that started way back. You know, I've I get the fact that you have to look at the fiber as mm. well as the gauge to yeah. to really get a replica of what. But I'm just amazed at the number of people that have to have the exact same sweater, mm. you know, the same colors mm. and everything as what they see in that picture. Because to me, the fun of it is creating my own color combinations, mm. right? I and think I, and I think making it fit I, my, and, and it's, there's so many people that just don't seem to think that way anymore. Yeah, and, and I can see both ways of that because people have different um, creativity, if right. they and and I I appreciate that. Oh, they see this, they really love it. I want that. And I think yeah. that's fine. But that also I have realized that it's very important to for, for me as well what color I choose from a selling point yeah. of view. It's the whole yes. color the color process is very important. And I also know that uh Thea, for example. Thea Coleman, she seemed to have, she seemed to think out um, like uh, this 
season's color range that she wants to use. Right. So that her, I, I don't know if that's true or not. I, just, I get that impression because she quite often talks about, oh, this time I'm using this and this and things. And I know that most Doesn't designers. Doesn't she have an, a, a trained design background? I don't Did... know exactly what her background is, but it's very interesting. If I can highly recommend looking up her, her um, what would you call them? Um, they're on Instagram. She puts up like really right. long reels almost, but they're almost an hour and a half to two hours long. And at the moment oh, she's wow. doing, she's doing monthly recaps. It's really interesting. I actually didn't even know that Thea has over 300 designs under her belt. She is super talented. So what she does is in February, now because I just watched the February um, podcast reel, whatever. Oh, it's it's live on Instagram, but it's it's saved. You can go back and watch them. So she goes Mm -hmm. through, okay, February, back from when she started designing and she goes, starting whatever 2010 she did this design in february and then she goes all the way up to where she is now so she's going through and what she's doing at the at the same time as well because she has a team of i don't know if she has a whole team but she has a woman who's on the podcast with her sorry i can't remember her name but she seems to be very involved in this process as well so what they're doing is that thea is revisiting her old patterns and she's tweaking them they are redesigning the actual pattern the layout of the pattern and they are looking at all the details in them and they are tweaking oh maybe this could actually be better done this this and so they are revisiting all their old patterns and she, what she's doing in that process as well is that she's now seeing you know things and details that she really liked from previous designs that she wants to bring back back in a new version so I know mm-hmm. that she mentioned in the in the January podcast she showed a really beautiful cardigan and she showed, oh, I've got this beautiful Lothbrok yarn from Helene in New Zealand, who I've collaborated with before. I th- this is, I think this yarn is going to be a revisit of this pattern. It's going to be different, but in the same. So, so I really, I really enjoy, I have noticed so many of her patterns uh, that I have scrolled past on Ravelry or even haven't haven't even looked at. And then when you see them in her podcast, you go, oh, wow, that is really gorgeous. Right. So that's interesting. So um, kind of lost my place here. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. That was a long (laughs) chat about Thea Coleman. No, no, that's okay. That's okay. It it wasn't you. It was such a fascinating conversation. It was like, okay, where do I go from here? Um, So you talked about the kits and how you create the kits. And that's that's what threw me because I I was looking at the question going, did I ask that? (laughs) No, but you do do them because that's, you know, something that you create at as part of your part of the launch yes so um have you ever done any designing yourself or do you just strictly stay with the the dying i stay with the dying because i i i have i sometimes i can have ideas that they're oh that would be nice or that would be nice but i just feel like there are other people who do it much better than i would i would be such a rookie if i started designing and I would have to put so much time and effort and thought into that. And I actually don't think I have 
that in me at the end of the day. I love my knitting, but I'm, I'm quite happy to pick up someone else's pattern and knit it. And like I said, I'm so involved in, in my collaborations and right. that takes up, that knitting takes up a lot of my time, of my knitting time. So, mm-hmm. uh, no, I don't, well, I don't, and, I don't, and I don't think it's for me, actually. I'm, I'm, you I'm put, a color person. You put a lot of thought into the kits and, and the way you present the, the yarn for the patterns that I can see why designing yourself would not really fit with the time it takes to do the rest of it. No. You know what I mean? I can I can see that, but I had to ask. <laughs> oh yeah, no. So I mean, it's a good question, and a lot of people have asked me. But I, I, at the end of the day, being what I do and being a one woman band is taking more than full time. So there's no time left for designing. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you come up with some really unique colors. Uh, your recent uh launch of the oil slick for example that one just and I know I know it that one's done for now if I remember correctly yes. but oh my gosh and I've ha- got friends that have um purchased it and they they hold it up in front of their cameras and I just go drool drool what is your favorite color to dye if, if of all the oh, colors you put together, is what is your absolute favorite? And what you is your mean, least do you, favorite? Uh, but do you mean actual color or color dyeing technique? Color. Actual color. color. We'll talk technique next. Oh, my God. I, I have actually noticed I'm, I'm very drawn to deep pinks and deep purples. But I've noticed recently that what I want to knit is green. I just want to knit green okay. or natural, actually natural, especially with like the possum yarn or I much prefer dyeing a naturally colored yarn than a white yarn because I think the colors okay. come up so, so much more Something that has some color like the it's already like with brown Julie and her camel. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So my, my mm-hmm. possum yarn, my mepaka yarn, they're all slightly brown the yak silk brand uh, blends are also brown and my mm-hmm. merino arapawa is very variegated brown and i and then i have for example kashi which is a 50 50 silk merino and it's fun in the way that the colors come out beautiful they do but i still i, st- I like the depth that you get from a natural colored yarn and Lothbrok my BFL Gotland is quite variegated in in the cream and as you might know be um, Gotland is one mm-hmm. of the few breeds that have like a bluish gray most yes. wool is more brownish gray they're all classified as gray but 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 Gotland there's a big a difference oh there's a big difference it's a big big difference yeah and yeah. so I think uh, I find it it's always so interesting when I get a new yarn because I I can predict what will happen when I dye it but I don't always know exactly what it's going to come out like because all yarn is different to dye and the colors come right. out very different 
So that's why I'm very strict on, except for two colorways, I'm very strict on calling my colorway the same all over my yarn range because I need to, people to understand how different yarn dyes up. Yes. A 50-50 silk merino, a white 50-50 silk merino comes out super intense. And the same colorway on a merino alpaca will come out a muted, soft. Yep. So sometimes people ask me, oh, I want this color, but on this yarn base. And it's, sorry, it's not going to happen. It doesn't work like yep. that. It it just can't be the same because the, no. the no. base. Because of the fiber. Well, even even if you take Merino versus BFL, right? They may both start out oh. as basically what you would call white, but the white is different. And mm. the way the color strikes the individual fibers is different. Yes. The BFL has got a base luster that you're never going to see in the Merino. Exactly. Right? So those, those colors completely, they strike completely differently. Mm. Mm. And, and so they the fibers soak up themselves... the dye differently, and it depends mm -hmm. on the construction, and it depends on whether it's super wash or not. It depends if if it's got silk content. There's so many variables in right. And in then the you yarn. add those naturally colored fibers underneath, mm. and basically what you're doing is over dyeing those natural colors, so those mm. affect the color that's going to be at the top and. Yeah, they they are. They're very very different, and it's, um, it's really interesting. And I, I I've actually got something interesting that you can look up on my website if you like. I've got ombre sets, which are five skeins of naturally colored wool, all the way from cream to a very very dark chocolate brown, natural wool colors, and then I dye them into the same dye bath, so you get. A, oh, a toffee yellow, toffee yellow fade, or a green fade, or a light blue, pink, whatever color I dye. But you've uh -huh. got a fade that is created by natural colored yarn, not by the amount of dye in them. I They're missed really those. Cool. I will mm. have to go back and it's look a, again. And it's an interesting, it's an interesting yarn blend as well because that is a BFL Masham. Masham is a bread of shape I'd never heard of before I bought those sets. Yes. So yeah, interesting. That <laughs> I I swear there's there's as many breeds of sheep mm. as there are numbers of people on this planet. It's just amazing. <laughs> um, the hundreds of there's literally thousands upon thousands of different breeds, and each one is so completely different from the other in terms of mm. size and shape and what type of fiber they produce. And it's, it's a fascinating study. And the more you learn about fiber, the more you understand your knitting as well. Cause I very often yes. have people coming into my shop or contacting me or coming to the events or, and they want to knit something and they like the look of a specific yarn and, unfortunately that yarn is not going to do what they want very right. often i have people who come to me and they have something in mind but they actually walk away with a completely different yarn because it wouldn't have worked right exactly well and it's mm. like julie talks with the ladies lunch date tea and the different yarns that she did that mm. in and having literally having people claim that they can't possibly be the same sweater 
the drape, the, you know, the, the feel, the, it's different fibers amazingly change what the construction would be. Mm. Sorry, I thought my phone was silenced. I hope not everybody could hear that, but me. (laughs) My kid just texted. (laughs) Anyway, so um, what is your least favorite? What is your least favorite color to dye? And here we could talk a little technique as well as preference. Oh, I don't know, really. Quite frankly, okay. I, 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 I dye colors that I like, right? Because mm-hmm. otherwise it doesn't quite work for me. My color range well, are colors okay, mo- that I like. Most dyers that I have talked to, when you ask them the least favorite, they'll automatically tell you black. And oh. yet you just came out with that oil slick. And I thought well, the talent that yeah. it takes to create that yarn and have it. The original people, oil slick is it, actually sorry, not, it's it's not very dark. The original one is not very dark, but then I did a small amount where I just tested, where I take it, I took it to the absolute limit, and that came out a very, actually came out very, very dark, with just a shimmer of colors on it. The the oil slick, I call that extra dark oil slick because that's not it took it takes a lot of time and dye mm-hmm. to get there. So the mm-hmm. normal eye slick is not that, uh, or, sorry, oil slick is not that dark. It is like a, it's a darkish, grayish, but shimmering mm-hmm. in a lot of colors. So mm-hmm. yeah, no, that dark, I mean, it's, you cannot, hand dyeing is very, very difficult to get it to a jet black. And yes. I feel like, why would you? Because if you want jet black, buy a commercially dyed yarn. You know, right. why would you ask, why would you buy an interdyed yarn that is black? But right. I have a colorway that is called In the Shadow, which is a dark, is a dark, a faded black. So it's a dark, dark gray, faded black. But then again, on BFL or on, on Silk Merino or Yak Silk Merino, it will come out quite a dark, faded black, but on on BFL Gotland or on Marina Alpaca, it will come out kind of a medium gray because I right. cannot take it to a black. It right. just doesn't work. And also the thing, because the, the difference is that with yarn that has a marine, uh, that has a superwash base or has silk in it, you can over, you can over dry it multiple times. You layer and layer and layer and layer to get a really big, a deep depth on it. But with oh. the non-superwash fibers, do you know the difference between superwash and non-superwash? Well, it's non-superwash dye, um, non-superwash yarn can felt. So, of course, I have to be a lot more careful when I dye that. I cannot layer right. and layer and layer because it will start felting the yarn. And that's why you right. cannot get to those intense. I can get that. Some of them I can get pretty strong, but not at all in the same range as right the silks right. and the superwash yeah okay 
Um, have you ever felt like it is too much work and it's, and it's time to go back to doing something for someone else where you're getting a regular paycheck and it, you know, is it ever, have you, has it ever felt like it's time to give up? No, 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 no. So all the work. I, lo I, love, love, I love what I do. Sometimes my body hurts a lot. <laughs> it's hard <laughs> on your body very hard on the shoulders I regularly see an osteopath and I do something weird called dry needling on my shoulders um but I love what I'm doing but for me is also I love being self-employed I don't think I could ever go back to being employed again I love running my own business I do it my way and that's why my shop is only open on appointment um I work when I want to work my weekends are usually very often not the weekend. My weekend can be Tuesday, Wednesday. And um, I, I do things when I want to do them. I work long hours. I've just done a stint of eight days in a row with no weekend. And I work till 7, 7.30 at night because I had a lot to do. But then I might take a break of three days instead. Right. Or I actually didn't. But... <laughs> <laughs> tell myself that I could take a longer break and I really do but I, I, I'm a little bit so I have to say I'm probably a little bit addicted to what I do because I love going into my studio it's fun I mean some days I, it's it is hard work it is hard work but I, I just love it yeah I love what I'm doing yeah. I think too the fact that you've managed to get a studio where it's not in your home where you're looking at it all the time. So when you do leave, you have the chance to disconnect a little bit might yes. help too. Yeah. That, that, and at the same time, I'm really happy. Part. Yeah. And I'm really lucky because I actually found a studio two blocks away from where I live. So it's right. super handy. I just walk over. It's, uh, uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm lucky. I live in this little seaside suburb on the Auckland North Shore and I'm three blocks away from the beach and my studio is one block away from the beach so I take a break at lunchtime and take my lunch and I go down to the beach and sit there and breathe for a little while and then I go back and work again so that's I'm nice. very that's yeah nice. it's it's very nice yeah I I find with working here at home that uh, I have a very strict rule I do not work on Thursday <laughs> Yeah, it's just that that's any other day of the week. But Thursday is my day. That is my absolute. Uh, I might answer an email if it's early in the morning, but that's it. Mm. Okay. But I, I just so, love the whole the whole thing. Also, about just controlling my own time because I practice yoga and I have a yoga studio that is across the road from my from where my studio is. And if I want to start my day with going to yoga in the morning before I start working, well, then I work an hour later at night, but I got my yoga in the morning. And I love right. that freedom of being, of doing things the way I want to do them and when I want to do them. I don't mind yeah. working late at night if I have something that I really want to do in the morning. You know, it's, yep. I love that freedom. I, I totally agree with you there. Mm. That's the very best part of doing what I do is that I get to choose. Mm. Um, if, you know, if I want to 
work on a Saturday, I can work on a Saturday. But if I've got something I want to do with the family, I just say, mm. block my calendar and say, I'm not available. Yeah. Yep. You know, exactly. um, it's just not, it's not an issue. Mm. So what is, what is waiting in the wings? What is, what is coming up from, you know, like mid-April on? Um, from mid-April, in mid-April, the event season starts. So from there on, I'm doing one event a month until end of July. And it's starting with quite a small but hopefully upcoming event. Uh, and then in end of May is the very big wool fest here in Auckland, which is huge. 60 traders, four big sheds of yes yarn and fiber it's amazing and food trucks and yeah it's been running for a very long time so it's a good one and then I do one in Christchurch and one in Wellington and one in Hamilton so I travel to different events uh, so that's going to keep me very busy at the same time I'm also launching this knit along very soon with Camilla Bard and when her patterns are coming along we will launch them and um, then I've got the collaboration with uh, Thea Coleman when that takes place. I'm not sure yet when that's happening. And then I have might have some other collaborations with other designers that are actually not confirmed yet, so I don't want to mention them. But there right. are always things in the, in the pipeline. And then I have a very big thing happening most likely in September, and that is that Happy Knitting is going to leave Auckland. I'm moving. What? So what? that would be a biggie. Yes. Yes. Um, I'm... Can we talk <laughs> enough about where Happy Go Knitting is headed? So, well, I can tell you. I, the thing and... is, it's not, it's not 100% confirmed that it will be in September, but very likely because the lease for my studio expires in September. So that's a good time to make the big shift that is going to happen. And that is, I'm okay. going to move two hours north up to Whangarei because I met a wonderful man two years ago and it's time for us to actually not have a distance relationship anymore, but actually join Excellent. and live together. Excellent. So, but it would that... be a good... <laughs> I'm super happy. He's the most amazing person. And um, and the good thing is that because happy he must be people. She she has knitted for <laughs> a sweater for him, so he must two, be special. Two, <laughs> oh, yep, two, two now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I challenged the boyfriend curse, <laughs> and it worked out. So anyway, I did. Um, yes. So, but the good thing is that my business. Uh, because my business is mainly online or I travel to events, it means I can actually shift it anywhere. So it will yeah. be a matter of uh, finding somewhere where I can continue doing. Because Happy Gennady, I, I'm not giving up. Not at all. I'm just shifting the business. So, um, so September will probably be a month off because it will be a big deal to move myself and the studio and get myself set up. Oh, and all definitely. That. So, definitely. yeah. And then I will... Um, We'll see what happens after that. Oh, that's that. Yeah, we'll, we'll uh, very exciting. Say, think all kinds of good thoughts <laughs> and cross fingers and toes. And... No, yes. this is great. I'm I'm very happy to hear this for you. What advice would you 
like to give to budding designers who might be interested in doing collaborations or budding dyers that think that they might want to do this line of business? What would you have to say to them? Uh, but uh, if we start with dyers, because I do actually do collaborations with dyers as well, which is very cool. Um, yes, that you is do. Mainly, that is mainly with Julian Paul from Honey Hooli Designs and Katrine from Jan Flusi. We have something called the Happy Honey Flusi Club, which we do occasionally, two times a year. It's been so far. Um, so that's fun. And I think it's really cool to realize that we are, yes, we of course we're competitors because we're joyous, but we just love working together. So it's really good fun. And when it comes and to you're designers, supporting each other and bolstering each other absolutely. and holding each other up. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, we all have our own yarn bases and our most of all our own dyeing styles. So it's, I'd rather collaborate than compete. You know, it's oh, definitely. Much, much better for everyone. Um, and when it comes to designers, I guess if you are a new designer, don't be afraid to contact an entity if you like their yarn or their colors or whatever and and just you know propose what you would like to do and what you think you might have to offer and etc because i i think the thing is that to realize that we're all humans we all we all just people right and not be so scared of contacting someone maybe they will say I'm really sorry, I don't have time, or I'm sorry, I can't do that, but just ask, you know. That's, that's great. Uh, Thea Coleman and Isabel Creamer are absolutely lovely, and Rachel from Unwinded Way as well, they're absolutely, and Camilla Bart, they're all absolutely lovely people, and they are just as human beings like you and me. And know? one of the things I feel in the design world is that we aren't, we may be competitors, but regardless of that, we're always willing to help each other. As tech editors, we, we are there to help each other, not just to compete with each other. We, we do collaborate. We, in the form of, if I'm doing a grading job, I've got to have somebody check those numbers before they go back to the designer. So I send them to my tech editor and she looks at the numbers before I ever send them back to the designer. And uh, there's all kinds of ways that we collaborate. So it, I think it's important to understand just because you think you're working alone doesn't mean you are totally alone. There are people out there willing to help and support, whether it's a designer reaching out to a dyer or to, you know, a tech editor to a tech editor, whatever. Reach out because that is an important piece. It Absolutely. Really is. So I, thank I, I you. totally agree on that. I totally agree. And yeah. and like I said, it's, it's much better to ask the question and maybe they, maybe they won't be able to help you, but most likely they are. I, I, I feel like the the more you ask for help, the more help you get. Because most of the time people have to say, say, say yeah, sure, you know? Well, and I think look at it instead of uh, reaching out for just yarn support, reaching out and, and saying, hey, I'd like to work with you on this because mm. you 
definitely do these as collaborations. You definitely work the process with the designer taking part in the test knit. Not all indie dyers are going to do that. I get that. But if you approach a, a dyer as, as a designer, if you approach a designer with a collaboration in mind, a working together in mind, they're going to get benefit. You're going to get benefit. You're going to be supporting each other and helping each other. And that's all part of this world. Mm. We've, we've got to do more of that in this. I think that not just in the design field, but throughout, I think we need to do more of that all the way around. Absolutely. I, I agree. And, but uh, to make it easier for yourself as a new designer, if you want to approach uh, an interdire and even if you're not asking for yarn support of course that's kind of what you're hoping for to make it easier for mm -hmm. yourself maybe not design a knee long eight skein ten skein cardigan to start with because that might be you know asking for a little bit much you know at the end of the day i mean yarn support is of course costing me money initially hopefully it leads to money but right you know maybe if you're a new designer, maybe start with a reasonable sweater, which is a four or five skein sweater. Or, or even a, shawl, a nice shawl, a shawl. Something yeah. that takes one to yeah. three skeins so that you're getting yeah. that collaboration. And the more you work through those processes, the bigger the design can become because now you've Absolutely. got a good working relationship together. Just like yeah. you said, you've worked with Thea how many times now? It, it it builds, right? It it yeah. grows. So of course yeah. it does. That's that's so. really good advice. Really good advice. Okay, our very last question is: Tell our listeners where they can find you. Okay, so I am Happy Good Nitty everywhere on the internet. Unfortunately, with a little, slightly different spelling in different places, depending on what the what the website allows. So happy go knit is usually spelled with hyphens. So happy hyphen go hyphen knitting. But for example, on Instagram, that doesn't work. So that's just happy go knitty. But I am happy go knitty on Instagram and Facebook. I have a Facebook group that is called the Happy Go Knitters. And you're very welcome to join that if you like. Uh, and of course, I've got my website. So, and yeah, website, webshop. Is the website hyphenated as well? Is it? Um, no, or it's is not. that one? It's just happygonity.co.nz, which is the New Zealand. Okay. So that's yeah, what I remembered, but I wanted you to say it. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. And of course, I'm on Ravelry as well. And you can find me there. You can find most of my yarns on Ravelry. Uh, unfortunately, not all yarn is listed in my web shop simply because. Like I mentioned, I'm a one-man band and listings needs photos and I need to get photos right. done and get young. But I do a lot of, cost, uh, of custom, a lot actually of custom dyeing. So you can always email me and ask for something dyed up. The only thing I don't do is people coming to me saying, oh, I want this specific color, like a specific blue, whatever. I don't match someone sending me a color sample. I don't. Right. I don't That's do that. That's almost kind of impossible to do. I I think it's so subjective, and and you know I might see the color might look different on my screen, and I might still kind of visualize it different to what you do. And so I've got my color right. range, but you can always to ask for 
a color that has might have been done on one yarn but has is not showing on the particular yarn you want happy to do that but I do my own color range and I right. don't do my hand painted yarns are not made to order they are done when I have the time to commit to doing them right otherwise I do a lot of custom dyeing <laughs> yes no got, kidding you oh and also if you if you're in New Zealand which you might not be listening to your podcast but if you are <laughs> I have my five stockings oh you'd be New surprised well. I have listeners all over the world <laughs> uh yeah I have five stockists as well that sell my yarn and I do actually have a stockist in the United States but it's been a long time since she bought yarns she might not have any left in stock I don't know but they're called the modern skein and they are in Montgomery in Texas oh all stockers all stockists are listed on my website so you can find them there all my events are listed on my website as well so wonderful yeah that'll be wonderful okay Well, Helene, it's been an absolute pleasure. We probably both should head out to the rest of our day. Go to work. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun talking. That's the thing. You can actually talk about this stuff for ages. Oh, I know. Uh, We could keep on going for a very long time, believe me. I know. Folks, Hillian and I talked for nearly an hour before we even started recording. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Yeah, it's always All fun right. to talk about yarn and fibers. Yeah. All right. Have a great day. Join Nikki and I next time when we talk AI in pattern writing. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you listen. And join the conversation in our Ravelry or Facebook groups. For technical editing, find Lisa at arcticedits.com and Nikki at handknitsandyoga.com. We had two hours difference. Here's quarter to 10. Um, yes, our time changed. Oh, okay, yep. We went on daylight savings time, so it shifted. Okay, yeah, we're going off daylight saving in a couple of weeks. Right. <laughs> I'm on the other side of the world, you know. <laughs> Remember now when you talk to me that I'm in the future. <laughs> I know. <laughs> All right, let's give it a little pause. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay, get ourselves ready.